Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm your host, Agus Ramirez, and this is episode 18. Today, we're going to meet Osut Pegua, an influential Thai businesswoman of Mon descent who acted as the business agent between Ayutthaya and the Netherlands in the mid-17th century. This episode was made possible by the generosity of Dr. Diravat Napombejra, former associate professor at Chulalongka University, who shared his 2011 lecture on Osot Pegua. I say this a lot in this podcast, but there is surprisingly little media in English on Osut Pegua, despite having such a compelling story. There is no portrait of her in existence, so I had to take some liberties with a cover photo. It actually depicts a Mon woman in Thailand in 1904 and is probably the closest we can get to what she might have looked like. And when I upload this, this will be the only feature about her in English on YouTube and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts, so we're literally making her story on this one. Last episode, we talked about the VOC, or the Dutch East India Company, and how the Dutch colonization of Indonesia affected women, specifically giving rise to the Nyai, housekeepers, companions, and concubines who were quite literally caught between worlds. Now we follow the VOC to a different part of Southeast Asia. The year is 1604, and Dutch representatives arrive in Siam's capital city, Ayutthaya, where they establish a trading post that will survive until the Burmese attack in 1767. According to Will O. Dyke in a 2021 article, Siam was essentially an export market for the VOC and the mainstay of its Siam trade was the export of deer hides to Japan. Osut Pegua or Sut Pegu, a woman of Burmese Mon descent, was a formidable trader and by all accounts a force to be reckoned with in Ayutthaya. That's an important point though. Accounts. Everything we know about her comes from VOC documents. It is what others from a different culture, specifically a patriarchal and Christian tradition, had to say about her life and work, not what she said herself. So, on to the story. Osset was born in Ayutthaya around 1615. She was of Mon ethnicity but was brought up in the Dutch village in Ayutthaya. Because there were several waves of Mon migration into Ayutthaya, we don't know when her family or ancestors migrated from Pegu in Burma into Siam. During the reign of King Naraisuan, several Mons were even brought to Siam as war captives. The Dutch referred to Osit Pegu's birth and status as being of low parentage. According to Professor Diravat, who is our main source for this episode, this was not surprising because someone of high birth would not have been brought up in the Dutch village. Because she grew up at the crossroads of several cultures, Osuit and in fact other Mon women in Ayutthaya spoke several languages. Osuit was probably trilingual, Thai, Dutch, and maybe Malay because it was what VOC employees used to communicate with the court's translators. Presumably, while living in the Dutch compound, Osset met Jan van Meerwijk, a VOC assistant who became a private trader in the Bay of Bengal. Osset, at 16, entered the annals of the VOC as van Meerwijk's concubine. 
They had a son together before Van Meerwijk died in 1635 under mysterious circumstances. He was either clubbed to death in Burma or hanged in Martaban. So that's the unfortunate end of Osset's first Dutch lover. Most Mon women in the VOC compound engaged in some form of trade. What set Osset apart, though, was the scale and breadth of her activities, which of course continued after Van Meerwijk's death she became one of the key traders of King Prasathong's reign. Through the factory journals of VOC's supreme head or Operhoofden, Jeremias Van Vliet, we know that in May 1636, she was sent by the VOC to try to negotiate with the Thai court for a harbor master or siabandar who would be more accommodating to them. Harbor masters are extremely important. We actually have a bonus episode on Nyaigede Pinate, the Great Lady of Gresik, a harbor master in East Java who, around 1500, sent her ships to trade in Bali, Maluku, and Cambodia. You can check that out on Patreon. Also, it was used as an intermediary between the VOC and the court in negotiating for a new Siabandar. The Dutch hoped that she would be able to use her access to the queen to help their cause. The queen was sympathetic to the company's request, but the old harbor master, Okluang Siyot, or Chut, was reinstated. In December 1636, VOC employees clashed with Siamese courtiers during a drunken picnic in Ayutthaya and were accused of insulting some Buddhist monks. This picnic is a story in itself. If you want to read more about that, check out the article by Hanten Brumelhuis and John Kleinen. The misbehaving Dutch were arrested and threatened with execution by royal elephants. I know I'm going on a lot of tangents, but I have very strong feelings about these elephants. In the Patreon bonus episode on Queen Suryothai, we talked about the heartbreaking story of the wild elephant populations who were ripped from the wild and trained to be aggressive killing machines to supply armies. And if you recall, Queen Sopialat ordered elephants to trample several members of the royal family to death. So basically I'm saying people suck and we need to leave these animals alone. After the Dutchmen, who had the drunken picnic, were arrested and sentenced to death by elephants, Van Vliet and others had to appeal to many important people in Ayutthaya. They needed to ask the king for mercy, and they actually did this through the women's network. On January 4, 1637, Van Vliet wrote that Osset came to tell the Dutch that one of her ladies-in-waiting told her that the queen wanted to tell the Dutch that she was very displeased with the king's harsh actions. So basically, the queen was on their side on this one. Van Vliet was skeptical about it. He thought it was unlikely that the queen just sent that message by herself. They thought that this whisper was sanctioned by the king, who had started to regret his actions, maybe? Anyway, the point is in 1637, Osset had some access to the queen, putting her in a very valuable position indeed. The drunken Dutchmen weren't executed in the end, by the way. Also around this time, Van Vliet recorded in a factory journal that Osset was to become, or had already become, his wife. She was in her early 20s and very active as an intermediary. Remember, Van Vliet was in charge of the VOC factory in Siam at this point, so he was a very important guy. Osset wasn't just an intermediary, though. In March 1639, Van Vliet recorded that Osset had promised to sell and secretly deliver 10 bahar of tin to the company at a rate of one Siamese kati per bahar. Professor Diravat notes that the amount of tin involved here was not great, but what was notable was that the tin was contraband. She was technically not allowed to be trading tin at all because the kings of Ayutthaya had an export monopoly on that. 
Besides tin, she was involved in the provisions trade. Because the VOC sent several vessels to trade in Siam annually, they all required provisioning with rice, coconut oil, and other goods. It was said that she had actually cornered that market, as far as the Dutch were concerned. Her network was extensive. She was even able to get a hold of goods which came down to the Siamese capital from the northern Lao hinterlands. She regularly traded wax, and in 1650, she was reselling benzoin from Lao to the VOC. Benzoin is a balsamic resin used in perfumes and some kinds of incense and as a flavoring in medicine. Now, throughout this time, she and Van Vliet had their fair share of marital problems. In 1641, Van Vliet was transferred out of Ayutthaya and they began to fight over the custody of their three daughters. Van Vliet wanted them to be brought up in a Christian environment in Batavia. Osset, who never converted to Christianity, was determined to keep her daughters with her in Ayutthaya. Who do you think won? There's a pretty good story behind that. We'll find out after the break. You've heard of the terms colonization or decolonization in bits and pieces. But do you find European colonization too broad and too complicated to get into? Well, there is now a podcast for you. Join me, Fidelity, on an introduction through the history of colonization. We will cover not just the major wars and conquests that took place, but also the perspectives of people who have been neglected in the grand Eurocentric narrative of discovery in colonial lands. You can find the History of Colonization podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. When Van Vliet left Ayutthaya in 1641, also its real rise began. Besides dominating the provisions and wax markets, she became involved in the day-to-day running of the VOC's affairs. This was because, around 1646, a triangular relationship developed between Osset, the VOC official Jan van Muiden, and the wife of Okia Sombatiban, the king's favorite courtier, whose name I am unable to find. So let's break this down. Jan van Muiden became the supreme headman because Isaac Mordijk, who held that position, was killed with poisoned congee. Thing is, Van Marden spoke very little Thai. Fortunately for him, Osset spoke excellent Thai, and then some. She and Van Marden became romantically and professionally linked, with Osset being the older and far more skilled of the two. Next, the unnamed wife of Okia Sombathiban, an influential courtier who spoke with the king's voice. Okia is a very high noble rank, by the way, not a name. His wife was a close associate of Osut, which meant she had access to the Okia himself. The Dutch thought that Osut was doing business with the VOC in partnership with the Okia's unnamed wife. Something funny I read in Professor Diravat's lecture is about the VOC commissioner Pieter de Goiter, who in 1649 wrote that Van Moyden only lived with Osset in order to use her knowledge of the Thai language and of the trading world of Ayutthaya, rather than on account of her beauty. Which, like, isn't the insult he probably thought it was? Anyway... Osset, through the influence of Okia Sombathiban's unnamed wife, were able to obtain Dutch licenses without going through the official lengthy Siamese channels. 
They weren't being benevolent towards Osset and Van Moyden, of course. This benefited the Okja because it gave him income and the prestige of being associated with Dutch power. This would go on until the Okja fell out with the Dutch in the 1650s. Osset, though, was thriving this entire time. She was able to deal in goods that the VOC brought into Siam, like copper and porcelain, which she resold in Ayutthaya. The Dutch knew that Jan van Moyden relied on Osset to do much of the trading, and they didn't like that she was making a huge profit at the company's expense. In fact, she was making a 50% profit from her business dealings with the VOC. Even though her goods were more expensive, Van Moyden just kept buying all the goods from her. As you can probably tell, Van Moyden was not very good at his job. Traders in Ayutthaya complained about him a lot, and they started thinking that it was Osset's fault that he behaved that way. We definitely haven't heard that before. And they were all already judging them for, quote, living in public concubinage so openly and totally shamefully, unquote. Osset managed to secure a near monopoly of trade with the VOC during this time. Which brings us back to her three children with Van Liet. In June 1645, remember Van Liet left Ayutthaya in 1641. In 1645, he was already the governor of Malacca. He wrote to King Prasathong asking them to send his daughters to Batavia on the first available ship. He even sent some gifts, but Osset's influence was said to be so great that the girls were never sent away. Van Moyden reported that the minister had not granted permission for the children to leave. He wrote that, quote, The mother can bring about with one word what we must accomplish with lengthy requests. The Dutch officials didn't like this. For example, Reklof van Goens was worried that the eldest of the girls, Maria, who would have already reached puberty and had very fair hair, was still running about so shamefully with only the lower part of her body covered. Van Moyden, despite his inexperience and lack of any real Thai language skills, was actually really successful, well, in large part because of Osset. Around 1649, he was given the Siamese rank of Okia, along with the attendant betel nut boxes, swords, and other tokens of courtly honor, making him the VOC employee who attained the highest rank in the Siamese court hierarchy. But like I said, the Dutch officials weren't into this. They weren't into him, into Osset, and the connections they had with the court. So in 1650, he was recalled after an investigation, which also implicated Osset in corruption. Without Van Moyden, it became impossible for Osset to monopolize the VOC's trade in Ayutthaya or to have a say in all the company's commercial decisions. The VOC was still willing to trade with her, though, and she was still friends with Okia Sombatiban and his unnamed wife, so she still had some power. In 1655, the VOC physician, Geisbert Heek, I'm so sorry about these names, he wrote that Osset's house was just across the moat from the VOC factory. He said that, quote, Because the king often confiscates the wealth acquired by the individuals as soon as he is aware of it, she keeps this back door ajar so that she can quickly hide her wealth with us, unquote. And they let her, obviously, not just because of the goods she supplied, which at one point included ivory tusks, but also court gossip, which was vital to the survival of the Dutch. And because of all of this, Osset was rich, rich. In the 1650s, she sent elephants as gifts to the Dutch governor general in Batavia, which normally only the king or the Okias could afford. 
she was also bribing him, by the way. Remember, Van Vliet was trying to get his daughter sent to Batavia, which would never happen as long as Osset was alive. Osset Pegua died in 1658 and her remains were buried in the VOC graveyard in Ayutthaya. In 1660, King Narai granted permission for all four of her children to leave for Batavia. Her son with Van Meerwijk had been in the VOC service since at least 1655. Maria, the eldest daughter, married a VOC employee named Thomas de Vos. There's no information about the other two daughters. According to Professor Diravat, quote, No other woman in Ayutthaya seems to have attained her prominence. She was one of the very few Ayutthayan women traders whose names have come down to us. Most of the others, including many of those who cohabited with VOC employees, remain anonymous. He also added, to progress from that humble, if convenient, start to becoming one of the major traders in Ayutthaya, she had to use all her ingenuity in her short grasp of trade, politics, and sexual relations, unquote. What do I think? The life and times of Osset Pegua is one of the most remarkable her stories I've ever read, especially after we learned about what happened to the Nyai in Batavia in the last episode. Here was a girl of low parentage who would have been cast into anonymity had she not understood her environment and her role so well. A girl who grew up to be a woman so formidable that she influenced politics across 2,000 miles. I would give anything for her own account of all of this. There is so much more we'll never know, but we're lucky that we have the VOC records for at least one part of her story. I want to again thank Professor Diravat Napombesha, without whose lecture this episode would be quite literally impossible. Thank you for listening to episode 18. As always, thank you to our patrons, Cairo, Shamibi by Milish, Jennifer, Christina, Raul, Raymond, Chito, Matt, Ashley, Shireen, Charlie, Chanda, Yati, Kara, and Mando. Also, a huge thank you to Ashley Aisha for my first ever donation on Kofi. If you want to join the Patreon, you can give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references and a shout out at the end of the next episode. There's also the occasional bonus episode. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStorySEAPod. I also have a Spotify playlist for all the contemporary Southeast Asian music I like to listen to while I work. Um, if you want to get a hold of that, you can just come over on Patreon or just tweet at me and I'll send you the link. There are so many more stories to tell and we're just getting started. This podcast was hosted and edited by Agus Ramirez. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again next time. Sampai jumpa lagi! <laughs>